Greetings, my good people. How are you? What is going on? What's happening? All that good stuff. Hope everybody's having a spectacular start off to their week as I deliver everything that's happening in the sports universe here on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast. I am your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to what it is that I have to say about the wonderful world of sports. And for those who've been banging with me from episode one to now 99, that's right, Wayne Gretzky just went away from the century mark. I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, November the 18th. In the year of our Lord, 2019, here's what I have on tap for you. Alabama takes another hit. That's right. Not only losing to LSU the week before, but their quarterback, Tua Tagovailoa, is going to be out with a dislocated hip. What does that mean for Alabama moving forward? We talked about it last week, thinking that they were probably going to make it to the top four for the college football playoff, but it certainly does not bode well for them. I'll talk about that, as well as a couple of other crushing losses in college football over the weekend. I'll also touch in on... What's happening in the NBA as Carmelo Anthony makes his return to the NBA. Looks like tomorrow night in New Orleans for the Portland Trailblazers. So you'll get my take on that. Some NHL stuff. Also baseball with the allegations of the Houston Astros stealing signs, especially going back to that 2017 World Championship year. Will there be any penalty? I'm sure something's going to come down the pike. Obviously, I got to throw in my two cents about that. Also, Colin Kaepernick. Yes, we're going to talk about everything that's happening in the NFL. Lots of news and notes. Not only on the field, but off the field. And we'll get right to it. I understand a lot of people are probably wondering my take about the whole Miles Garrett, Mason Rudolph situation. We're going to get to that later on. I want to just focus in on the takeaways from yesterday's games. When you look at both the AFC and NFC, how the separation is starting to begin. Whether it's at the top of the AFC, obviously with the Pats and the Ravens and what they did yesterday. Patriots gutting out a road win in Philadelphia. While the Ravens continue to steamroll and beat the pretenders of the Houston Texans. So, you know, I got uh, some barbs to throw the Texans way. And then in the NFC, it's interesting to look at as loaded as the conference is. They're pretty much running away the top six teams with the playoffs. Pretty much, I don't want to say it's intact. Of course, we got to wait to the end of the year as far as seedings are concerned. But when you look after the top six... The Rams are falling so far behind. They're two games behind the last team. And that would be, as of right now, the Minnesota Vikings at 8-3. and three. They currently have the sixth seed in the conference. And with the Rams' win yesterday against the Bears, they are two games back. I believe they have a matchup later on in the season. Let me look at their schedule as I pull that up. But the standings right now, when you're looking at the NFC, these six teams, now of course, remains to be seen. We understand that Philly is 5-5 five and five and certainly are in the playoff mix because they're a game behind the Cowboys. But anything as far as a wild card concerned, you could pretty much just throw it out of the window. And even with the Rams, and for everything that they've gone through, especially the last few weeks, whether it's the trade with Jalen Ramsey, the insufferable losing, whether it's from the quarterback, Todd Gurley not being Todd Gurley, and here they are. Pretty much on the outside looking in because in their division, there's no way that they're going to catch either the Niners or the Seahawks to get the NFC West crown. So here we are, as of right now, when you look at these teams, and let me just take a quick look at the Rams while I'm at it. When you look at the AFC and NFC, now the NFC is going to have a couple teams that are going to be on the outside looking in, as I mentioned, the Rams. We all know that they were the NFC Super Bowl representative last year, and now this year, chances are they're probably not going to make it. Barring Minnesota collapsing, Seattle, etc. Now, as I look at the Rams' schedule, they have the Ravens next Monday night, which is going to be a fascinating game for them because, who knows, that could be a loser goes home for 
the Rams. It's a Monday night game. They do have the Cardinals, the Seahawks. No, they actually play the Cowboys. I had them mixed up. I actually thought they were going to play the Vikings again this year, but they do not. And then they finish off with the 49ers and Cardinals. So they still have the Cardinals twice, the Seahawks at home, Cowboys on the road. So a lot of their games remaining here are going to be against the division. Just the two games, Ravens and Cowboys, are going to be outside of division where the rest is going to be within. So they have a lot of work cut out for them. Chances are the Rams aren't going to make it, I wouldn't think. But here we are, and we'll start with the AFC and work our way down. Patriots gutted out a game yesterday. I know Brady was unhappy with the offense. We know the defense and the special teams have been a plus all year for the Pats, but the Brady-led offense has certainly sputtered at times. He has looked all 42 years of age when he's performed. Not that he's been pathetic, but obviously he's not going to be the Brady he was 5, 10 years ago. But here they are at 9-1, and one, talking about first world problems. I mean, he could talk about the offense all he wants, and maybe that's his way of kicking in the rear end to try to get themselves on the same page with both the defense and the special teams as far as performance is concerned, and production for that matter. But 9-1, and one, you're certainly not going to throw that aside and think to yourself that, oh, geez, this is a uh, team that is sinking fast by any stretch of the imagination. It's not. So the Pats looking good there. As far as the Ravens are concerned, I know the Lamar Jackson talk has continued to go through the roof. A lot of people think he's the front runner. He's definitely in the conversation, people. Now, of course, the game Monday night last week where the Seahawks and Niners, where the Niners are now have a loss on their docket. The 72 Dolphins can rejoice. The champagne, I'm sure, has been popped somewhere down in South Florida. But the performance by Russell Wilson in that game, and we could go through strategies and things of that nature, but the game is already a week ago. But considering the way he played and how the Seahawks have done this year, what has he thrown? 23 touchdowns and two interceptions. To me, he would still be the front runner. Now, as far as the Ravens are concerned, again, I don't want this to be a thing throwing cold water on Lamar Jackson. But the one thing I will say, and I'm putting this right here on record, November 18th, 2019. Last year's playoff game, you're going to throw out the window. It was his first game in the postseason. He was awful, as we all know. Right, does it go on his resume? Of course, but we'll give him a pass on that. Let's see come January when they're probably going to host a divisional playoff game. And for him to go out and do what he's done this year, let's see him do it against a lot better quality of opponent or defense for that matter. Let's see him do it when it's 20 degrees with his wind chill of 20. Uh, 20, I'm not going to say 20 below, but a wind chill of in the teens or in the single digits. And the wind is at 25 miles an hour where they're going to have to run the ball and they're going to stack 10 in the box. I want to see how he's going to perform then. Because it's easy to look at what he's done and you can't knock what he's done. And I'm certainly not here to do that. But I need to see this in January. Is that too big to ask? I don't think it is. And when you look at what happened last year, And people are going to say he's made leaps and bounds since then. Right, he has improved. But again, just look at the offense. It's dink, dunk, left and right. He's not going to stretch the field. And pretty much that's all on the coaching because they're going to tailor the offense around his strengths, which is obviously running the ball. Yes, is he going to throw the ball? Absolutely, but it's going to be outs, uh, crossing patterns, over the middle, things of that nature. He's not going to take shots downfield. He's not going to, and he doesn't really have the receivers that are going to stretch the field. I know Hollywood Brown's a guy that could, but we all know that the, Offense is just going to be run heavy to the tune of yesterday, 263 yards against that Texan defense. And when you're going to rush for over 200 yards in an NFL game, chances are you're going to win the game. 
So if you're going to hold, I would think if you hold the Ravens to 100 yards rushing in the game, chances are Lamar Jackson's probably throwing for 25, 30 times, which is what you want to happen if you're a defensive coordinator in this league. So as much of the credit that he deserves for playing the way he has in these first 10 games, again, I need to see it in January. And that's not too much to ask for. So that's what we have there. And the flip side of that, the Texans, they're a bunch of frauds. Now, this team has been a bunch of frauds for the last several years. Even the one year they were 11-5 and and they lost in New England. This is a team that you can never trust. I understand Bill O'Brien is not nowhere near or will not be confused with Vince Lombardi. He's a guy that certainly is an offensive mind. We all know from the Patriot tree, but for whatever the reason, he's had more success than the other guys that have come from the Belichick tree, whether your name is Charlie Weiss, Romeo Cornell, even Josh McDaniels for that one year in Denver. But by any stretch, he's certainly not a guy that you're going to trust in a big spot. And the team does have some personnel. It's not as if the team is just Deshaun Watson and there's nobody else. You know, they do have uh, DeAndre Hopkins. They do have some people on defense, despite the fact that J.J. Watt is gone and we know Clowney's in Seattle. But for them to just lay an egg the way they did, they were down 34-0 before they even scored. And it's not an indictment on Deshaun Watson because I like as a player. But when you are supposed to be in the mix to be a team that could possibly make some hay in the AFC. I'm not saying you had to go into Baltimore and win the game, but if you lose a 24-20 game or 27-23, whatever it may be, all right, you fought hard, you did lose, and there are no more victories, but at least you could come away with that thinking that, well, hey, maybe if they do happen to meet in January, there may be a better fate. Because trust me, if Houston goes back into Baltimore in January, Not to say that whatever happens in the regular season is going to be substantial in the postseason, but at the same time, when you saw what happened then, I sincerely have zero faith in the Texans. So that's what you got, or at least that's what I took from that game. The Colts finally got themselves a win after two bad losses back-to-back. Jacoby Brissett is in the mix, so that certainly helps as they beat the Jaguars. Also, you have a big game tonight, which I'm not going to really preview, but Chiefs and Chargers because the Raiders of all teams With everything that happened last year, going back to John Gruden's first year, trading Khalil Mack, just having an awful season. And here it is, their last season in Oakland. And they're 6-4, and and they can actually be in first place by the end of the evening if the Chargers beat the Chiefs down in Mexico. That certainly remains to be seen, but I tell you, the Raiders have certainly played pretty well. All right, they beat the Bengals, big whoop, but nobody, please, I didn't think that they were going to get to six wins at all. In fact, I picked them as an under this year, and I'm looking terrible with my over-under picks, which maybe I'll get to a little bit later. But give the Raiders credit, and especially with everything that happened in the preseason with Antonio Brown, that certainly didn't affect them going into the season. So here they are at 6-4, and tied with Indy, both of those records. But Indy right now has, I believe, has the tiebreaker. So you have to look at them as the three seed in the AFC. And then when you're looking at the bottom, Buffalo certainly played well yesterday, winning in Miami 37-20. They certainly had hit the skids a little bit. They lost to the Browns the week before. They had to go on the road and actually cool off, believe it or not, a Dolphin team who had won two in a row. So the Bills righted the ship there, at least for one week. So that's what you pretty much have in the AFC. I'll get to the Steelers a little bit later on. They went into this week at the sixth seed in the AFC at five and four, and we all know that they lost, and obviously the chaos that ensued after that. But I want to go over to the NFC side, where yesterday the Niners... Had a scare down 16-0 to the Arizona Cardinals, but they actually came back and won. They iced the game there late. I know a lot of people out in Vegas, they had a, uh, I believe it was a 10-point cover. 
And for those who had picked Arizona, uh, for those for the betting man out there or woman, uh, they were certainly displeased with that comeback. And then them taking the final score to a 36-26 score. So there you have that. And then the Seahawks had a bye this week. So you'll see them next week. But also at the top of the chain, the Saints bounce back from that awful performance against the Falcons as they win down in Tampa. Now that was a game Jameis Winston giving out early Christmas gifts, turnovers left and right. He's certainly an enigma to think he has the talent to play in this league and has a very good arm. But I think as one scout said, as I heard a couple of weeks back, that Jameis Winston is the type of guy that he's will take his team back from the deficit or will take his team from behind. But at the same time, he'll also give it right back. So he is certainly Jekyll and Hyde at that position. And who knows where he's going to be next year as far as playing in the league is concerned. So you have that. The Vikings had an unbelievable game themselves. They were down 20 nothing at the half. And they came storming back behind Kirk Cousins. Actually, Denver had a shot to win the game in regulation. But they certainly weren't able to convert behind Brandon Allen. So they come away with a win there, 27-23. to And to think, they're 8-3. and and the Packers had a bye yesterday. The Packers have a big matchup against the Niners next week on Sunday Night Football. So the Vikings certainly keep pace with the Packers. And I'll, I'll say this quickly about Kirk Cousins. He's another one. I get you got to see it in January. And to my boy Kevin Christopher, who I know he's jumping up and down, and rightfully so, and he should. But you would only hope that Kirk Cousins, as the games get bigger and bigger and bigger, that he plays to the likes of what he's been doing here over the last four or five weeks. Because... Kirk Cousins is that type of guy where September, October, early November, he's flying high and he'll put up good numbers. And then as the games get bigger, whether it's in late November into December, uh, he just wilts like a flower. So we'll certainly keep an eye on that, but they've played well. You cannot knock what he's done to this point. Also, the Panthers are a team. We're talking about teams on the outside looking in. They're pretty much done behind Kyle Allen's four interceptions. And the Falcons have a little bit of a resurgence here to the point where they haven't given up a touchdown the last two weeks. They gave up only three points to the Panthers yesterday after giving up nine to the Saints in both of these games on the road. But as we all know, the Falcons' season is done, and I would think that Dan Quinn should still be gone unless he runs the table and become 9-7. and seven. But even at 9-7 and seven, this year in the NFC, he's not going to make it to the postseason. But the Falcons certainly bounce back there. Uh, other games in the AFC, I mean, we talked about the Patriots uh, earlier as far as their struggles on offense, but winning the game. The Eagles had a tough loss there yesterday. Carson Wentz was not good. I know that Nelson Aguilar, uh, Aguilar should have had that catch in the end zone there. It was a tough catch. It was a bad angle because it was almost as if that he didn't really overrun the ball. But because he was in the back of the end zone, he had to contort his body. And it was a catch that should have been made. But he wasn't able to haul it in. Tough loss for the Eagles. Although the schedule does get easier. Now Seattle has to come cross country to play this weekend in Philadelphia. But after that, they still have to play the Giants twice. They go down to Miami to play the Dolphins. So they have winnable games on their schedule. And also they play the Redskins. So with all that in front of them, and Dallas has to go to New England this week, and they play the Rams later on uh, in next month. So Rams are going to be fighting for their playoff lives. You would think that the Eagles, despite the fact they've been very inconsistent this year, they still have everything in front of them, despite the fact that them not controlling their own destiny. Now, of course, they do play the Cowboys again, which... They most definitely need to win because they've already lost earlier this year. So we'll continue to keep our eyes on that as the Eagles' only shot of making the postseason this year will be to win the division. And as far as, let's see what else we got for the NFC. Bears and Rams last night, that game was just a snooze fest. I don't know why they didn't flex that game out. I understand that the the markets are big. I think I mentioned that last week between LA and Chicago, but that was just a bore of a game. I didn't watch any of it. I actually tuned in 
late in the fourth quarter when Chase Daniel was in, reports have come out that Mitchell Trubisky has a hip injury. Who knows how long he's going to be out, but as we all know, he has certainly gone 12 steps backwards this year. And the Bears, for all the promise that they had coming into the season, the defense, etc., boy, have they underachieved. Probably one of the more disappointing teams in the league this year. And the Rams, like I said, had some tough times here over the last few weeks. Needed that win in the worst way. And we talked about their remaining schedule to try to make any type of push here in the NFC. Uh, as far as any other games, if I missed for this week, if anybody's interested in the Jets, two in a row, they beat the Redskins. Sam Donald with four TDs. We talked about Jaguars Colts. And the Cowboy game, yes, they won yesterday 35-27. Actually had a little bit of a scare. Because they were up 35-21. The Lions scored a touchdown there to make it 35-27. So instead of going for the extra point, and this is news to me, although I think it's it's clever, but when that A word is thrown around, analytics, when that word's thrown around, it just makes you roll your eyes, or at least it makes me roll my eyes. Because how they looked at it was, at 35-27, instead of going for the extra point, the Lions actually went for two. Now, they were unsuccessful, but they were still one score behind because if they got the ball... And stopped the Cowboys, got the ball, and were able to move down the field to score a touchdown. Then it could go for two to tie the game. I get that, and it' pretty smart because let's say if they do make the two at 35-27, then it's 35-29. All they got to do is just get a touchdown and kick the extra point and win the game. So you know what? From that regard, I think it is pretty smart. It's a little dicey, and obviously it's very, it's a big gamble. Because two-point conversions, you would think they're a piece of cake. It's easy just to run it in or get a pass. But as we all know, two-point conversions aren't an automatic. So I do like the thought process, especially with a line team that's not going anywhere. And they were at home. But I don't know if I want to call it analytics. And in this day and age, that's what it is. But that is a very interesting play there. Because even at that juncture, late in the game, you figure, hey, you want to go safe with the tie. Most teams usually do that. They'll go, let's say they'll kick the extra point. It's 35-28. And if they get the ball back, they score a touchdown. Then they go for two. So maybe it's best to go for two the first time around to know that, hey, if you do complete it, then you have a chance to maybe score a touchdown and get an extra point to win the game as opposed to doing it in reverse. So that's what you have there. And the Cowboys, Dak Prescott has certainly been, hearing this, that blew my mind to think that in his last 16 games, Going back to last year, and even this year he's on pace to throw for over 5,000 yards. So a lot of people don't talk about Prescott in the mix as far as, now, not necessarily for MVP, not going to go as far as that, but knowing that he's in a contract year, all the talk about him trying to make $30, $40 million, whatever it is that he's asking for, he certainly has produced. And even with Zeke not having a, just a huge year on the ground and him carrying that offense, uh, it does speak volumes to what they've done. Now the record is 6-4, and four, but... Obviously, he can only do as much as he can. And the Cowboys right now, first place there in the NFC East. All right, now let's uh, cut to it here. Uh, I'm going to talk about the game first, Steelers-Browns, before I even get to everything that happened and my two cents about the last five seconds of the game. As far as the game itself, I'll give credit to the Browns. They didn't do much. They're an enigma on offense. You would think they should be able to put up points left and right. But let's face it. And this is not any surprise. Baker Mayfield's overrated. That's all there is to it. He can make plays. He certainly has the ability. We all know that he has the testicular fortitude. But for whatever the reason, they just haven't been able to mesh. I don't know if that's more on Freddie Kitchens. It possibly could be. But they certainly could have done a lot more than what they did there on Thursday night. Considering that the Steelers were in the game 
late in the third, going into the fourth quarter at 14-7 when it felt like it was 28-0. So that's number one. Number two, the Steelers were awful. I mean, what could you say? Mason Rudolph was just terrible. Throw, four interceptions. The offensive line was a sieve. It was as bad as the offensive line I've seen played in years as Mason Rudolph was pretty much running for his life. And what's lost in this game, because obviously what overshadows everything is what happened in the last five seconds, which I'll get to. But what's lost in this game is that the this was like an old school, when I think about my old partner, J.D., and his brother, my cousin Josh, shout out to him. Tomorrow's his 49th birthday, so I want to give Josh a shout out. Uh, my other boy, Kevin Christopher, I mentioned earlier, he's a huge Viking, Viking fan here in the Bronx, believe it or not, of all places. And we used to talk about games like this back in the late 80s, early 90s as body bag games. Division games that you know are going to be tough, physical, last man standing type, hide the women and children type games, as I like to call them. But body bag in particular. And what you saw by their secondary, whether your name is Demarius Randall, what they did to Juju Smith-Schuster, Mac Wilson, and that uh, one hit there that even tweeted it with the picture. And I forgot what his tweet was, but he had to delete it because it was him pretty much standing nearby a Juju Smith-Schuster that was lied, crumpled on the ground, who left on a gurney, as well as Deontay Johnson who was bleeding from his ear. That's the one thing that kind of gets lost. And you wonder for the game that's going to be played now on December 1st, which is two weeks from yesterday. These two teams are going to match up in Pittsburgh. Now, we all know the particulars who got tossed in the game and are going to be suspended aren't going to be there. But knowing that Randall's going to be there, and even Larry Ogunjabi, the guy who pushed Mason Rudolph, who got a one-game suspension, he's going to be there too. So is there going to be any retribution? I don't think so. If the game gets out of hand, either way, whether the Steelers bowl them out of the Browns, I could see maybe some retribution there. And one thing I'll say, people, the game in 2019 is much different than the game it was 20, 25 years ago. Too much fraternization with these players, too much buddy-buddy, nobody, there's not really a lot of, and I say sports hatred because I don't want to look at it as a point for people hating one another, but you don't have that same intensity, you don't have that same mentality that the athletes did many years ago when you and an opponent of a divisional foe and you go into that building and you know you just can't stand the fans, you can't stand the colors of the jerseys, you can't stand the team. You don't have that in this day and age. So I don't think that game in two weeks, as much as I'm going to be, my eyes are going to be glued to see what happens to Demarius Randall, to some of the guys on the Browns, whether Gunjibi is going to play in the game, who knows. But I tell you, this would be a, talk about a payback. I hope the Steelers payback with a victory because they certainly could, they need, they'll need it. I mean, it goes without saying. And they want to beat the Browns. But I would also love to see, and it's just part of the fan in me, I would just love to see a physical, I don't want to see a dirty game. I do not want to see that, but I would like to see some sort of retribution to be paid back. Uh, more so, not with people's health, but also with the score, and hopefully they can run up the score on them. And I get coaches aren't going to do that either. You're not going to see a uh, Sam Weish, Jerry Glanville 61-7 with an onside kick. Look that up, by the way, because I am not kidding when I say that. Uh, onside kick at 61-7. So that's what you have there as far as the game is concerned, and even with the game Uh, In two weeks. So now, let's get to the incident. I'm not going to rehash. Garrett got what he got and he deserved it. Indefinite suspension. Pouncey, I think, three games. I thought it would be two games because the rematch is in two weeks. So I figured he'd get these two games. And who knows? I know the appeal is going to take place on Wednesday. All three players appealed, even Garrett, which you got to be off your rocker. But with that being said, and even Ogunjabi, he's going to get the one game. All those, will find out the details there on Wednesday if any of those uh, suspensions will be rescinded in any shape or form. 
But when you look at what happened, and this is going to be my take, people, there were so many people out there that thought that Mason Rudolph started this whole fiasco. And I got news for you. I'm not saying this is a Steeler fan. I'm doing a, And trust me, I thought about this over and over. And I'm saying this is as objective as possible. I'm sure he was frustrated. I'm sure he was angry 1,000%. Because he was hit all night. He was harassed. Joe Schobert was just a beast on defense. Give credit to the Browns. They did everything to harass, upset, and certainly made Mason Rudolph a turnover machine. But with that being said, when you get to the last play of the game and he threw that little screen pass to Jalen Samuels, for Garrett to just throw him onto the turf and for him to you know, to be rolling around on the turf with Garrett, and obviously you have a 275-pound man that you're rolling around on the ground with, and obviously he had the advantage to where his hands were near his helmet, so the first inclination was to try to rip it off, and right, we actually saw that on the video. But for what Garrett to do after that was just, as we all know, was inexcusable. You know, why would you even think, even if he tried to rip off his helmet, why would Garrett want to do the same and then on top of that try to slam it over his head? It's beyond me. But here's the thing that gets me upset. Everybody talks about, oh, it was Mason's fault. Well, first of all, that should have been a rough in the passer. Not that it would have mattered because of what happened afterwards. But he literally threw the ball and three seconds later slammed him to the ground. To the tune where Miles Garrett afterwards said that, oh, I thought he still had the ball in his hands. That's nonsense. Because if that was Ben Roethlisberger, you think he would have done the same thing? I think not. That's number one. And number two, that ended up being a street fight. Because when Roe Rudolph was on the ground, and yes, I understand that when you look at the video, the only thing you can really grab at that point, he's not going to grab his jersey. He's not going to try to pull his jersey over his head. The first thing he's going to grab would be his helmet. And let me tell you, if that was me on the ground, I would have done the same thing. And I understand I've never been an NFL player. I've never been a bit of college player. But because of the moment, the magnitude, the frustration, the anger, the first thing I'm going to go for is the helmet. Now, are people going to say, is it dirty? Well, it's only dirty if he tried to gouge his eyes out. It's only dirty if he tried to yank it off, let's say, from the face mask. He was trying to grab it off from the back of his head. Does that make it any better or any right? No, but this guy's literally scratching and clawing for his life. And I don't want to say his life to that point, not that it was threatened, but when you have somebody that's 270 pounds and is 6'5", uh, what are you going to do to kind of keep yourself in survival mode? So, right. Not that I condone what Mason Rudolph did, but people aren't understanding why he did what he did. But no, they want to put all the blame on him, which to me was just absolute nonsense. All right? And then, of course, you know, afterwards, I hear the comments on social media. From the Brown fans, they're clueless. They have no idea. They're just on another planet, and they need to shut up because they've done nothing since they entered the league back in 1999. But, of course, they're going to stick their chest out and say, oh, Mason Rudolph did it. Oh, he's a bum. He's this, whatever. All right, fine. You can say all you want about him. But the thing that also bugs me on top of all that is because it was a street fight and it turned out to be the way it was that people think that the Steelers, when you look at Pouncey going there and scratching and kicking and all that, and listen, he was an OG. I, I got to give it up to Pouncey for sticking up to his teammate. But the thing that frustrates me is that they look at Rudolph as the bad guy throughout all of this. And even though they admit that Garrett, right, was at fault and he shouldn't have done that, but it's a, wait a second. They don't want to look at the play and how it all started and developed because they feel as if Rudolph is the guy, is the, the victim here. Which to me was just absolute nonsense. Uh, I mean, I couldn't believe it when I read that and when I saw that and all these posts. I, I just couldn't believe it because I just said, if it was Roethlisberger that threw the ball, you think he's going to slam him to the turf? Absolutely not. So I, I just don't get that. And uh, what could you say? 
So here we are now, five and five. Steelers, uh, they're going to be a long shot to make the playoffs. I get that they're just a game behind the Raiders, but now there's other teams that are going to be involved here. You know, you got to look at the... Well, Indy, of course, they have the tiebreaker against, but you also got to throw the Texans in the mix. You got all these teams now at six and four that they're certainly going to have to fight for this last uh, position here in the AFC. And uh, we'll just see how it uh, shakes down. I mean, that's all there is to it. Pittsburgh has the Bengals upcoming, which the Bengals are still looking for their first win. And to me, that's still a dangerous game, even with the backup quarterback there. Because as we all know, Dalton has uh, been benched. So we'll certainly get a chance to see what the Bengals are all about at home if they could somehow, someway get themselves their first victory. And that's a scary game. I'm sorry. I know they're an awful team. I know I get it, but still. Those division games on the road are always very tricky. But So that's what you have with the incident. I, again, I just thought it was a joke how all these people came out and just slaughtered Rudolph. And and then the other thing is too, lastly I'll say about this, is that everybody talking about, oh, the hold me back, bro, and you're trying to be all tough, but meanwhile he didn't do anything about it. I got news for you. I give Rudolph a ton of credit. He was trying to go up against them, even with his helmet off. He was still trying to go at him. And it wasn't a hold me back thing. I mean, give me a break. But here's the other thing. The flip side of that, and I put this on Twitter, the flip side is that if he would have pulled a soccer-style collapse, you know how these guys, you breathe on these soccer players and they collapse to the ground as if you shot them? If Rudolph would have went down like a t- house of cards, people, and he would have got up like two seconds later or faked that he had a concussion, he would have been the butt of everyone's jokes in America if that was the case. So I don't want to hear it. And to me, he held his own. I know Ogunjabi came by and he snuffed him in the back and he went down to the turf, but he got up. Now, did he swing at him? He didn't because he probably realized, like, oh, I don't want to get in a fight with this guy because I don't have a helmet on and this guy's much bigger than me. So you know what? Shouts to him. But I just think Rudolph was just getting, it's too much. Now, I understand he's in the post game. he came out and he said that it was Bush League for Garrett to do and rightfully so. And then everybody's getting on Rudolph. Oh, it was Bush League. And why were you doing what you're doing? Again, survival mode. And it became a street fight. And that's all it was. So that's what you have there. So Garrett's probably going to be gone to, I would think, the middle of next year. So you figure maybe week nine will be back. And Pouncey will probably see after the second game. Because if the appeal does uphold where, let's say, he does get a game off, he's going to miss that Brown game. But we'll see what happens if there's going to be any payback in two weeks. You know I'll be right on top of that. So that's what you have there with the NFL. And then lastly, with the Colin Kaepernick thing. Now, this was a joke in this regard. We understand the NFL is bulletproof. We understand that the NFL, no matter what, it's all about the shield. We get that. But the first thing I had to think of is why now to give Colin Kaepernick a tryout when you're 11 weeks into an NFL season, hasn't played a game in three years. Now, all of a sudden, you're giving him this opportunity to not only practice for whatever 32 clubs that were going to come down and visit in this workout, but to put it on a Saturday when half of the teams in the league are traveling to their destinations to play in whatever city, stadium, etc. To me, that's a joke. And we all know that the workouts are usually held for tryouts, that is, are usually held the Tuesday, which is the day off for all the NFL players. That's the day to have any type of tryout or workout for any particular player that wants to get in the league. So no, let's put this on a Saturday. And they put it upon their own conditions. They certainly were not compliant. They certainly did not want to cooperate. It was almost as if they said, here you go, Colin. Here's a bone we're going to throw you, and let's see if you take it. And if you don't take it, well, well, at least we extended that olive branch, so that's on you, and obviously it's going to make the NFL look good, so we washed our hands through it. Nonsense. Then this is one of the reasons why I can't stand the NFL. 
And it's just a shame because I have such an emotional attachment to the game because I've watched it since I was a boy. But this is one of the things over the last half dozen years that I've just been incensed by this league. Well, they're starting with the commissioner, number one. And I could go, I could have a whole podcast just dedicated to him about my disdain for him and his practices and what he's done, especially over the last six years. But for them to come out and do that, and then Kaepernick, and not only that, but then they also put this liability waiver in the mix because they wanted to make sure to ask him certain questions about not only him as far as his playing is concerned, him being ready, but also as far as upsetting the, I don't want to say upsetting the apple cart or putting the cart before the horse, but just from a standpoint of a PR disaster, if he's going to continue to do what he did when he was in the league by kneeling on the sidelines, let's just cut right to the chase, pretty much being a nuisance, or I don't want to say nuisance, a little bit too strong, but you get what I'm saying. For him to be a disturbance to the team based on his actions in the past, which he has every right to do. Because Eric Reed, his buddy, and he even mentioned that this was a PR stunt, he's 1,000% correct. To this day, Eric Reed kneels during the National Anthem. Are the cameras on him? And we understand Eric Reed isn't a quarterback of a team or he's not a Hall of Fame player. Kenny Stills, believe it or not, still does kneels on one, uh, goes out on one knee through the National Anthem. And we understand he's not Jerry Rice. But it still goes on. And Colin Kaepernick, he's not Tom Brady. He's not one of the top players in the league where you could really say, oh, geez, why is this person doing it? But of course, he was at the forefront of this and rightfully so and he had a right to do that and not to get into all that history because we all know what that is but the bottom line is that the NFL did a disservice to Colin Kaepernick and I'm not talking about what happened years ago I'm talking about this whole workout situation it's nonsense with the waiver etc and then this was supposed to take place in Atlanta but he chose to go to an Atlanta high school because he wanted the media He wanted full transparency, he wanted the media, he wanted scouts, he wanted everybody to be there because the NFL obviously looked at that workout as being as tight-knitted, as closed off to anything but other than the scouts or the 32 teams that were going to show up there. And as it was, only eight showed up. So, and give credit to Kaepernick for saying, I wanted to do this on my terms. Granted that he was just given, what was it, a week's notice for him to go ahead and do this Workout is just an absolute disaster. And whether he's going to get a job or not, chances are it's probably not going to be the case. Now, of course, his arm looked good. The reports coming out of that were great. As far as his physical condition was concerned, he's still able to whip the ball around. But of course, a lot of scouts are going to think that, all right, well, hey, can he still play quarterback in this league? And that's all there is to it. He's 32 years old. Doesn't matter. The age isn't really a big thing because you look at Brady and Breeze. They're in their 40s and they're still performing. But it's just a disgrace how now the NFL... They can't get out of their own way with situations like this and they're a PR disaster. And it's just a shame that they couldn't do this at the beginning of the year. You would think that they could have done this maybe early September so that maybe if he were to get on a roster or let's say if there wasn't enough traction at that time, maybe by week five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, that he could actually be signed by somebody. Who's going to sign a quarterback right now in this league going into week 12? So that's what I got there. It just... I, uh... The NFL just frustrates me beyond no end. And uh, what more can you say? There isn't any. There isn't that much more you could say about how the league handles certain things of this nature. And then, of course, you have all these other outsiders. Then Jay Z's coming out saying that oh, it's a PR stunt, and we know Jay Z's ties now with Goodell with the whole Super Bowl. Th- it's just uh, 
And I'm, I'm certainly not going to get into that. But anyway, so that's what you have there as far as the NFL is concerned as uh, we continue to march on here with this NFL season. As far as the college game is concerned, you had a few big games this week and a couple in particular, but no news was bigger than what happened against uh, in Mississippi with Alabama and Mississippi State where Tua Tagovailoa goes down, crumples down to the ground with a dislocated right hip. We all know about the issues that he had with his ankle, and it looked like he wasn't 100% leaving that game against LSU the week before. But it's a shame because this impacts not only the college football season, but also the NFL draft. For those looking forward, the whole tanking for Tua, if you're in Cincinnati or even Miami for that matter. But now with Tua on the shelf, and it looks like Mac Davis is going to take Alabama the rest of the way, you wonder if Alabama is going to have an opportunity here to get one of these top four spots because as of right now, Georgia, with their win over Auburn and winning the SEC East, they were able to secure their spot going to the SEC championship game, of course, against Alabama, you would think. And will that be enough if they beat Georgia? And we'll see how the other top three teams fare. Obviously, that's going to be a game of note. And if Mac Davis is going to be the one that's going to carry them to victory that day, because we all know if they lose that game, and I said this last week, even with a healthy tour, they lose that championship game, they are not making the top four. So will Mac Davis be the guy? Is it going to be enough? Well, let's see what he does here for the next couple of weeks. I don't know what the schedule is off the top of my head. I believe what well, they probably have a... They, they think they already played Arkansas. I know they usually play them late in the year. Excuse me. Usually around Thanksgiving time. Probably be uh, sometime next weekend or the weekend after as the seasons come to a close. I believe... I'm thinking Auburn. Maybe I got my, I got my teams mixed up. I think they already played Arkansas. Auburn would be on the docket. So that's what you have with the situation down with Alabama. As far as the two big games, what could you say about Oklahoma and talk about a former Alabama quarterback in Jalen Hurts? They were down 28-3 to to Baylor and they came all the way back to win 38, uh, 34-31. Just a tremendous job. And even though, it's funny enough, with the game Joe Burrow had against Alabama there last Saturday, a lot of talk's not being made about Jalen Hurts. And of course, he's going to be in the running. I'm not trying to say that he's a dark horse or he's a guy that's certainly not getting any pub, but he has had a, just an unbelievable year with Oklahoma transferring from Alabama last year and who knows he would probably stake his claim back in the Heisman Trophy race with that performance there on Saturday and then you also had Minnesota who beat Penn State the week before and they were all jumping up and down on their high horse and feeling high and mighty thinking that hey maybe somehow some way they can make themselves a run up the college football rankings well guess what they followed that up with a loss at Iowa so Minnesota drops now four spots down to 11 Oklahoma moves back up in the top 10. In fact, Oklahoma now, as I look through the, uh, the rankings here, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, followed by Bama, Oregon, Utah, Oklahoma, Penn State, and Florida. So that's what you have there as far as college football is concerned. So if you're wondering if any of these teams, and I'm pulling up Alabama's schedule as I speak. So Bama, over the course of the last... I guess it would be two games because what are we now? Week. Bama left. Yeah, they did play Arkansas. As a matter of fact, they just... Uh... All right, so here, yes. It was the game against Auburn. That's why I got it mixed up. So that's going to be in two weeks. This coming week, they play West Carolina, Western Carolina. So we all know that's going to be a W. And Auburn is going to be the game that they play to close out their college football regular season. So that's what we have there as far as college is concerned. 
as we turn our attention. Uh, quickly, I'll go into the baseball, and then I'll wrap up with the winter sports of NHL and NBA. As far as the baseball is concerned, the only surprise that I got last week from the awards was Mike Trout winning. And Trout was a favorite going into September. And a lot of people thought that once he got hurt, I believe it was what, September the 5th or the 7th, and then Alex Bregman and what he did this year for the Astros, that he was going to be the front runner. But we all know Trout is the generation's best player by far. This is his third MVP. He's been in the top three in MVP voting, I think, every year but one of his eight years in the league, which is phenomenal. And I get that people are going to look at how is he the most valuable player on a team that's 72 and 90. Well, when your numbers are off the charts, whether it's your... Not necessarily the home runs and RBIs, but your OPS, your on-base percentage, your slugging, everything that he runs scored. I mean, the guy is a machine when it comes to a baseball diamond. And what can you say? You can't discount that. I get that. He's not in a pennant race. He plays on a team that's, you know, their games are long. You know, this season's long gone since late July, if that. And all you could say to that is it's just dumb luck because when you have a talent like that, and how he's performed, not only just the three MVP seasons, but every year for that matter. It just goes to show that he's a guy that he's going to be the front runner of the MVP every year. So even if your name is Alex Bregman, or even if your name is, when you look at some of the other top players in baseball, I know Marcus Simeon was up, he was third in the MVP voting. Aaron Judge, you go through the list. So... That's what you have there with the baseball, all the other awards. Eh, you know, Verlander and Cole. Maybe a lot of people thought Cole's going to win the Cy Young, but Verlander got it. Good for him. We know Jacob DeGrom here in New York got the Cy Young second in a row back to back. And now let's get it uh, on and popping with the free agents, which we hope uh, we'll get some news hopefully in the days to come. Now, as far as this Astros ceiling signs, this goes back to 2017. Supposedly, there's a scoreboard out there. Or the camera that's set up out there where they're stealing signs. If that's the case, obviously you got to come down hard on them. Whether it's the ownership, the GM, the even the manager. You know, will the manager maybe 80 games, half a season? Will they lose draft picks for a particular draft? Po- you know, quite possible. You know, so it's things like that. And it's funny how Carlos Beltran, he got thrown in the mix going back to 2017 as he's been alleged and part of this whole controversy, but now he's on the Mets. Even if he went in there and plugged some of the cameras, or even if he went up behind the scoreboard in this, hey, please. I mean, he's, he's not going to get anything substantial. We all know that he's not the mastermind behind this. This is going to be the analytics department. This is going to be maybe even the GM. He may be a part of that. Of course, the manager, A.J. Hinch. So we'll see what the penalty is going to be moving forward as they continue to investigate on this. But uh, yeah, it's certainly not a good look for the Astros considering they've had this uh, amount of success over the last few years and even fell short, as we all know, this year of a World Series. So we'll uh, certainly continue to keep our uh, eyes open on this story as we go forward. As far as uh, the NHL, let's see what I got here. NHL, NHL, excuse me. The Oh, you know what? One quick thing, college basketball. I totally forgot about this. And you know what? I will say this. I'm actually surprised that the season started so early. We all know that Midnight Madness, which pretty much kicks off a lot of the college basketball season, which is usually around Thanksgiving. I remember it was that Thanksgiving weekend where they would have the Midnight Madness where all the gyms would be open and you see the practices and then they get started with those early season tournaments. 
And I noticed over the last couple of years, it's been before Thanksgiving. But who would have thought, and I was well off on this, that two weeks ago they started the college, or college basketball season, excuse me, at the Garden, when you had number one at the time, coming into the year, Michigan State play against Kentucky and then Duke and Kansas. I thought to myself, wait a second, this is happening now? That looks more like a Final Four in April than it does to kick off a college basketball season. So I was totally surprised by that. And since then, the number ones have flip-flopped all over the place. You had Michigan State lose their opening night against Kentucky. Then they were number one, and then they lose, which I'll get into later on. But yeah, I was just totally surprised that college basketball just really snuck up on me and to think that I would have never thought that would start that early and you had all those powerhouse matchups to start. So uh, yeah, another season to usher in, everybody, as uh, college basketball has certainly uh, kicked off a lot sooner than uh, I expected. But as far as the NHL is concerned, uh, pretty much same deal when we go around. The one difference... That I looked at here. San Jose's actually played a little bit better. Uh, they're still pretty much at the bottom of the Pacific. But they've won six in a row. And that's a team that, as we all know for many years, have certainly tried to get over the hump. But pretty much everything is status quo when you go around the league. Of course, the Blues are still going to continue to play well. Same with the Capitals. The thing about the Capitals, though, as much as they are in first place in the Metropolitan Division. But they have four games in hand. Or I should say the Islanders have four games in hand. Against the Capitals. So even though they are four points behind the standings. Or five right now. But they've only played 18 games. So the Capitals 22. So if you're looking at that moving forward. And uh, the Bruins are certainly. Have gotten off to a great start. Even the Canadians. Canadians have certainly played well. As they've uh, moved themselves up in the Atlantic. And as we all know. NHL season is a long one. So plenty of hockey to be played. Blues continuing to not have any Stanley Cup hangover. Edmonton playing well. Even the Coyotes. Uh, certainly have moved up the ranks here in the Pacific. Funny enough, speaking of the Coyotes, there was an incident there a couple nights ago where the goalie, Darcy Kemper, he had tackled Matt uh, Kachuk because he had cross-checked Jason Demers, one of his players, in front of the net. And then it was a scrum, and then he came out and defended his player to the tune where the Calgary goalie skated down that they didn't fight. But it kind of brought you back to brawls of yesteryear and again you know here we go the old man on his lawn about physicality and toughness in the NHL listen it was better than nothing but it certainly was a tease to say the least that it just wasn't a full out brawl but I will say this though in reference to protecting your top players and you look at what happened there even the other night in Edmonton when Zach Cassian took a run at Nathan McKinnon and then Matt Calvert came over to his defense Calvert is not a tough player. Zach Cassian's been in the league as a tough guy and well-known tough guy throughout the league and he just pounded Calvert. But here's the problem. When you don't have a guy that's going to police the ice, when you don't have a guy that people are going to take or players are going to take liberty at running your best player. I saw John Tavares the other night get railroaded from behind, open ice, and nobody did anything. Nobody came to his defense. Nobody stuck up for him. Uh, that's how bad this game has gotten. That's how much it's fallen to the point where we can't even protect our own players. And they want to talk about, oh, well, we want to get that part of the game. Privately, I'm sure they're saying they want to phase out fighting in the league. And as far as the tough guy's concerned, we all know that. But when you're seeing these best players getting hit left and right, over and over, don't you think there should be at least one resident tough guy on every team? Because I tell you, one of the reasons why Rain Gretzky, as great as he was, and we all know, all-time great, but one of the reasons why he never really got hit or really got hit is because he had Dave Semenko on his team. May he rest in peace, I might add. And if you don't know Dave Semenko, just look him up on YouTube for the young guys out there and you'll see for yourself. 
And to me, that's what's missing in the league. As much as I would love to see long box scores of penalties and misconducts and things of that nature, right. But at the same time, when people are just taking liberties, as I said weeks ago with the whole Milan Lucic thing, when he hit that one kid in the corner and he punched him with a glove on his face and he's looking at the ref like, hey, 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 no, sorry. That's not the game should be played, nor... I could just go on and on with this, people. So instead of boring you to tears with that, I know you feel my pain for those who love the fisticuffs and loves the physicality and the toughness and the intimidation factor. Because to me, that's what was great about the league back then. And obviously, we're not going to see that. But it would be nice that it, one team had a bunch of rough, you know, one every team had at least one tough guy because I'm sure if your player got checked into the boards or an open ice hit and did nothing about it, you're going to look around and say, come on, man, what's happening here? Especially if that guy's going to be injured or on the show for some time. But, you know, that's just me talking out of my rear end, I guess, when it comes to that with a lot of the fans here today. Now to the NBA. Carmelo Anthony is the big story here over the past week. He's back in the league. Chances are he may even play tomorrow night in New Orleans. He'll get his first chance to play in just about a calendar year. Good for him. Portland has certainly gotten off to a horrific start. Five and eight. I didn't like them. As a fact, I wanted to pick them as an under, and I probably should have. Obviously, too late to do that right now. But the Blazers at 5-8, and eight, certainly trying to get on track by any way, shape, or form. We all know it's a long season, and who knows what Carmelo's going to bring. We all know he can bring some scoring, but other than that, that's pretty much going to be it. He's not going to bring you defense. He's going to be an ISO player. Who knows how much of a team player he's going to be. I'm sure he's going to be a guy that's going to come off the bench. I doubt he's going to start right off the bat. But let's see if that experiment works for Portland as they bring him in on a non-guaranteed contract. Now, Paul George is also back in the league. He's back from the shoulder surgeries. He performed a couple nights ago against the Atlanta Hawks to the tune of 37 points in 20 minutes against the Hawks. So it looks like uh, he was chomping at the bit, raring to go to put on that Clipper uniform to be near his hometown and to show and prove that uh, he's ready to make the Clippers a favorite out in the West. And as far as uh, the NBA is concerned, Celtics had their 10-game winning streak snapped yesterday in Sacramento. I know Marcus Smart had a chance to win the game in regulation, but didn't do so. They lose 199. Their schedule is going to get tough. I mean, I feel like the Celtics haven't played anybody in this first uh, 11 games of the year or 12 games, but they certainly got off to a terrific start, and hopefully that will stick when they get uh, deeper into the tough part of their schedule. What about the Heat? 9-3. and three. And I thought a lot of people thought under the radar they were actually going to be pretty good this year. You know, they got rid of Hassan Whiteside, who I know was a little bit of a headache there, especially toward the latter part of his tenure, and they shipped him off to Portland of all teams. They bring in, you know, Tyler Farrow, who's a guy that uh, they fell in love with as far as his uh, three-point shooting is concerned. We know Jimmy Butler, and you also had the Deion Waiters situation where he had an edible, and then he's been suspended. So they've had a little bit of... A little bit of, I don't want to say turmoil, maybe a little bit too strong, but they've had... Uh, just a, a a little bit of a speed bump here. Let's just put it that way. With some of their personnel. But they've certainly been very well off the start. To where they're second in the conference right now. Philly. Even at 8-5. and five, They're in the middle of the pack. But uh, as we all know it's a long season. Indiana's certainly starting to get on track here. Even though they lost two in a row. But they certainly didn't start their season off pretty well. Brooklyn is underachieved. Even when, with uh, Kevin Durant still on the shelf. A lot of people thought they were going to be better at this point. But that's not the case. Knicks, we know, has been a disaster. And one thing about that I'll say, because last week I gave my Heroes of the Week to Scott Perry and Steve Mills. Now, mind you, they came out with this impromptu press conference, which I commended him for, and I gave him hero status because in this town, you can never find any of the 
presidents, GMs, or even owners for that matter, to come out and speak two cents about their team. And for them to do this, I understand it was undermining their coach, where it looks like David Fisdale is a dead man walking coach of the Knicks. And was that the right thing to do? Maybe not the right thing to do, and I'm certainly not going to retract what I said, because when you have management come out and say what they said, and they said they were all responsible. They certainly weren't pinning it on the one guy. They weren't pinning it on the coach. But we all know that's what the message is. And even though, of course, they're going to come out with the the dreaded vote of confidence to the head coach, but we all know that's just the beginning of the end. And the Knicks have been awful. I mean, what could you say? And a lot of it has to do with what they did in the offseason. Right, they didn't get the big fish in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but they settled for a bunch of power forwards, it seems like. The Bobby Portis's of the world, the Julius Randles, etc. The Todd Gibson's down the whole line. Thankfully, they didn't give them four-year deals, but... Even with them saying what they said, and I, I applauded them for it, but now they got to back it up. And even though it doesn't look good on the coach, even though you kind of say, damn, why would they do that after 10 games? Was it, did it come from James Dolan, etc.? But how I look at it is that, hey, if it's across the board, then they just need to start putting up or shutting up. And right now they didn't shut up, so let's see if the Knicks put up. And they did beat Dallas the other night. I know the crowd got on Porzingis, and rightfully so. So too bad they don't play the Mavericks again this season. Because it seems that's the only team they could beat in the NBA. So that's the situation there with the Knicks. And then out West, you know, Lakers have certainly been playing well, flying high at 11-2. And, and the Rockets, after a slow start, they have certainly have turned it around to the tune of seven in a row and now 10-3. and three. Uh, To think that they, if there's a worse team than the Knicks in the NBA, it's the Warriors. Who would have thought that? And they're going to have, oof, they're going to have a long year. Could you imagine that? Here's the funny thing. You ready for this? And nobody's going to talk about this, but I, I guarantee you there's going to be thoughts about it. When you talk about tanking in the NBA, and we understand it's hard to do so because it's a lottery system, but wouldn't this be the year? Now, it's too early in the college basketball season to find out who's like that number one person that's going to be at the top of the NBA draft, but this would be the year that Golden State will have like the third worst record in the league and they'll have the number one pick. So that will go back to I can see Steph Curry, he'll come back, but they'll shut him down at some point. You can forget about Klay Thompson coming back. They're going to say, rest up a whole year. We got you back for the 2020-2021 season. Draymond Green, I'm sure he's going to take a lot of days off, a lot of load management on his part because he's going to, as much as he's taken over a role here in this team as being the leader, not only from an emotional standpoint, but now physical because he's pretty much the last guy standing from this core, that watch the Warriors all of a sudden just have one of those awful years, 20-62, and and next thing you know, when they're pulling the envelopes out of the, or pulling the cards out of the envelopes, and the, you see the number two pick goes to the New York Knicks, and therefore the number one pick goes to the Golden State Warriors. Would you be surprised? Still a long time between now and then, but that's just something to keep an eye out for when uh, late April into early May rolls around, and the Warriors are at the top of the NBA draft food chain, and then everybody's gonna roll their eyes and throw their hands up. Oh, look at that! Well. You heard it here first, people. All right, so that's your NBA. Uh, let's get to my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week, I'm going to give it to a whole team. That's right. I'm giving it to Evansville, who beat Kentucky of all teams at home. And I get that it's early on and nothing to sweat about. You know, when you look at Kentucky as a whole, they're probably going to be a one seed in whatever region they're going to be in. And Evansville is going to be an afterthought. But to think that they went into Rupp Arena and beat the mighty Wildcats. Now, we understand this isn't a Kentucky team of years ago. We get that. 
although they're still a formidable team and certainly top ranked. But give it up to them to go on the road. Now, if the game was at home, it's another story because anytime a team could be upset at home. But for them to go on the road and do it, give it up to them. So Edmondsville or my the whole team, that's my hero of the week. And my zero of the week, do I even need to say this? Miles Garrett. Enough said. Thank you, everybody, for taking the time out to download and listen to this content. Listen to what it is I have to say about what's happening in the world of sports. I greatly appreciate it. I tell you from my lips to God's ears, it uh, goes without saying how much I love to do this on a weekly basis. And I want to continue to expand and do a bunch of different things. And, of course, I would need your help in that regard. If you could go ahead and subscribe to this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, iHeartRadio, whatever it may be. Just go in there, just hit subscribe. It literally takes two seconds, people. Just go to your phone, wherever you get your iPads, just hit subscribe. Just leave me a, whatever, just a one sentence is fine. You can say, Jay Reels, he brings the pain. And give me four stars, five, whatever you want to give me. But the only reason why I ask you to do that is because it's just going to increase the visibility of all the other podcasts. And there are several of them. As a matter of fact, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of podcasts. And God knows how many sports podcasts. But considering this is the only type of sports podcast you're going to get is I cover it everything. I cover everything. It's just not fantasy football. It's just not hockey. It's just not, it's not tailored to just one thing. I cover it all, as you have now heard over the course of the last hour. And again, not only is it going to increase the visibility, but hopefully generate interest amongst those outside that I'm trying to get guests for who don't know who Jay Reels is, who doesn't know who, what kind of podcast I have, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe they'll get an idea as to who I am by your participation in doing so. And again, I'd be forever indebted for you to do that. If you need to reach out to me for any stretch of the imagination, you want to send any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, you can send it uh, via DM on any of my social media accounts. So that's Instagram, J Reels, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, the J Reels Podcast fan page on Facebook, and also an email at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, please bring it on. I'm open to anything, even the criticism people. Uh, very objective, down to earth. You don't have to worry. Uh, I'm a big boy. I can take it. And uh, as we, as I said just a couple minutes ago, I love to get into sports, talk about it, dissect it, and of course deliver it to you here on a weekly basis. And one last thing, if you want to contribute to the program for production, behind the scenes stuff, if you'd be generous enough to do so, you could go on my Patreon page. That's Patreon, P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy.com slash the J Reels podcast. I would sincerely appreciate that as well. As I deliver to you each and every week what goes on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time, number 100. That's right, the 100th podcast coming soon here on the J Reels Podcast. Until then, on the flipping.